The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Okay, it's time are. now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Hal Schurz. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week I and my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, bring you the information in healthcare that you need to know so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family's healthcare needs. We uh, are supported by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. Our uh, website is wwwd the number four pcfoundation.org. That's d four pcfoundation.org. We need you to go to our website to support the work that we do. It's absolutely essential that we get your help, and anything that you can do to contribute and make us. Um, uh, viable financially so that we can continue to uh, put this radio show on the air and do our work would be immensely, immensely appreciated. As we near the end of our uh, calendar year and uh, tax-deductible contributions might be something that you are thinking about, uh, the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is a tax-deductible foundation that you can claim on your tax uh, uh, IRS um, uh, form. So please give generously and help us out so that we can continue to fight for you, uh, supporting the doctor-patient relationship and healthcare th- freedom for all Americans throughout the country. Let me um, uh, once again... Uh, uh, promote the conference that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation will be sponsoring on March 14th to 16th, 2024 in Orlando, Florida. This is uh, going to be our sixth uh, nuts and bolts conference for uh, uh, docs who uh, are interested in the direct primary care Model or any doctor who is interested in the cash model and get off the dependency of insurance companies. This is better for your practice. It's better for your patients. And it is a fantastic conference. This year's conference promises to be the most exciting of any conference that we've had. We will have uh, tutorials. We will have didactics. This year we will bring in um, uh, our uh, members who wish to present their data on quality improvement in direct primary care. Um, we will be doing our workshops where you'll be able to learn skills um, that are important for your practice, whether it be suturing or dermatologic care or um, ENT examinations. So this is really um, a conference like none other, plus our esteemed keynote speaker this year is Marty McCary, who many of you see on TV quite often, who is really one of the strongest voices for patients and for 
clarity and common sense in healthcare. He is a professor of uh, of surgery at the Johns Hopkins University, an esteemed um, surgical oncologist who specializes in uh, pancreatic cancer, but who has made a name for himself uh, talking about healthcare policy. Um, he's written several books, one of which I have highly recommended to uh, everyone I know and to this audience, The Price We Pay, and he will uh, certainly be available to sign copies of your of that book at this meeting. So if you are a healthcare professional, you know healthcare professionals who you think should be interested in this, please share this with them. Let them go to our website so that we can um, see uh, the highest turnout that we've ever had. And I think that uh, this conference will sell out. So please sign up uh, as early as you can and make plans to come to this meeting. Well, um, the last couple of shows I have uh, departed from the, the uh, usual MO of this uh, program, which is talking about healthcare. And, um, I promised that I was going to get back into healthcare, uh, conversations and, uh, we will today. Um, the, um, listeners to this show know that I often will reference, um, a, a periodical that I get on a, a regular basis, on a monthly basis when it comes out, which is called the Healthcare News, and it's published by the Heartland Institute. The Healthcare News is um, one of the the uh, sources that I like to go to to get a a picture of what is going on in healthcare. Um, there are lots of websites that I go to, and um, many people don't know where they can really go to get healthcare news. I know lots of people uh, who I've spoken to in the lay community go to Medscape. Um, there are a number of people who are in the physician community who rely on doximity. Um, these are all uh, part of what people should be going to to get as broad of a idea of what is happening in healthcare as possible. But I like the healthcare news because it gives a um a conservative view of healthcare, healthcare issues and um and today what I'm going to do is uh going to be a a new segment that I do on this show. Uh, the, I, I, I wish my memory served me better, but there was a, um, a, a show, I can't remember if it was on TV, I think it was on, uh, where, where the host would go through the events of the day by going through the newspaper. And it was really, um, you know, f- f- educational and it was funny and it was, it was just a, a, a great segment, a great idea to do that. So I got the idea to replicate that using the healthcare news. And so once a quarter, I'm going to go through an issue of the healthcare news and discuss it. 
and try to give people an idea of what's happening in our country in healthcare. And I think this will give you a, a, a better um, idea, put give you the pulse of of the issues that's happening in healthcare. So let's start by talking about a couple of the featured articles that are on the cover of the healthcare news. And it goes back to COVID. I know that Dr. Scott, the last couple of shows, has emphasized the fact that we have been right here on this show. And um, everybody who has been critical of the things that we have said because they've claimed that it was based on disinformation um, or it was misinformation or it was just flat-out lies, have egg on their face because virtually everything, if not everything, that we held true as principles that were just flat-out wrong by the administration and by the media that they were promoting um, false claims, our assertions that these claims were false and this was the absolute opposite turned out to be true, whether it's about masking, whether it's about the vaccination program, whether it's about shutdowns, we were right, they were wrong. Um, as Andrew Wilkow says on his show, we are right, they are wrong, the the ideas on this show cannot be refuted, and uh, and I think that uh, we've proven that. So on the front of the healthcare news this month, it talks about Florida and physicians pushing back on COVID shots. That's the headline, and the um, the article goes on to say that the um, FDA approved new versions of Moderna and Pfizer's shots for people um, who are aged 12 or older, and they gave emergency use authorization for children aged 6 months to 11 years this past September, on September 11th. Uh, 9-11. It's, it's, it's a little, little ironic that, uh, that on 9-11 they reinstitute, uh, a disaster like, um, the re, uh, issuance of, of, uh, of shots. The FDA's approval was based on manufacturing data and non-clinical immune response data. And Moderna announced non-peer-reviewed clinical trials for their drug called Spikevax. Um, and um, Florida became the first state to recommend against the COVID-19 boosters for anyone under age 65, two days after it was approved by the FDA. And Governor Ron DeSantis has come out and said that, quote, I will not stand by and let the FDA and the CDC use healthy Floridians as guinea pigs for new booster shots that have not been proven to be safe or effective. So Marty McCary, our esteemed keynote speaker at our upcoming meeting, is quoted in this article as saying that questions regarding Moderna's shots are still looming and Pfizer's version has zero efficacy data. 
It has not been tested on humans at all and has data only about antibody protection from 10 mice. They've based their entire premise on 10 mice. Just digest that for a second. So despite the lack of clinical evidence, the FDA and the CDC are vigorously promoting this new mRNA shot. And the push is so hard that former White House COVID coordinator, um, Dr. Zha and CDC head Mandy Cohen are making unsupported claims that the new vaccine reduces hospitalizations. It also, they're also claiming that it, it reduces long COVID and the likelihood that you will spread COVID. And none of these claims has a shred of scientific support or evidence. They're just making it up as they go along. The FDA is assuming that these shots have a safety profile like that of the seasonal flu shots. And we know that the flu vaccine doesn't require clinical trials. And we know that the flu vaccines don't work a lot of the time, but they have a a fairly good safety record. Not true of the mRNA shots. The COVID shots have been associated with a series of uh, adverse events at a rate um, of one in 5,000 doses. So if you take 5,000 people, if you're in a in a uh, stadium, in, in Michigan Stadium, watching football with 100,000 people in there, 20 of them are going to have serious, serious events. Um, and um, it, the, uh, the incidence of this has been estimated as high as one in 556 recipients, according to Dr. McCary. The incidence of myocarditis for younger people is 6 to 28 times higher after the vaccine than after an infection. And there are also concerns about how multiple boosters may affect the immune system. The, um, the people who are labeling these drugs in the FDA are refusing to put in warnings about the potential harmful effects. They do it on cigarettes. They do it on other drugs, but they are refusing to do it on these shots. And the, the, the effect, the benefit of these shots is at best transient, which lasts just a few months. Now, Secretary, I'm sorry, the, um, the, uh, uh, Surgeon General for the, for Florida, Dr. Joseph Lopato, noted that there's insufficient safety and efficacy data and that um, urging people over 65 to take these shots may be uh, misguided. And um, and that's what led uh, Governor DeSantis to reject 
uh, the uh, mandating these shots. But despite that, and despite the fact that the shots are back, there's other things that are being brought back by by um, government. Um, reinstituting mask mandates and other restrictions. This is not happening in Florida, but it is happening in other places around the country. And, um, and we can't, we've seen this movie before and we can't let this happen again. And speaking of, of what harmful effects, um, these, these shots have, I want to refer to another article in this month's paper, which is really quite interesting, that um, that uh, questions the um, the safety of these drugs based on autopsies. So the the headline is autopsies raise questions about COVID nineteen shots. So spike proteins from the COVID-19 shots have been identified in the lymph nodes and in some cases in the heart of the bodies of people who died within 30 days of inoculation. And this was reported um, a few weeks ago in um, Nature magazine. Now, the study raises concerns about the long-term effects of the COVID-19 shots and boosters and cast doubts on the wisdom of the U.S. government's quick approval of these vaccinations. And I use vaccinations in quotation marks. Why are we just now finding out about autopsy studies from 2020 after billions of doses have been given? And... Why are we, um, why, why are we dismissing the fact that there are reports about increased incidence of myocarditis and other heart problems when these autopsy studies are showing evidence of these spike proteins in these tissues? So the Nature Report raises the concern about possible damage two organs because of the vaccine and much more work is needed but to institute universal vaccines and mandate it is not just wrong but it is irresponsible and potentially harmful this is what our government is doing to us this is what they're doing to members of our military when they are mandating that people get vaccines and get boosters. This is what universities are doing to students when they're not letting them on campus unless they are vaccinated. They are dead wrong about this whole program. And the other headline on the front of healthcare news this month is that the new COVID shots have little chance of reducing hospitalizations. So the CDC has recommended universal vaccination for people age six months and older of these new mRNA vaccines targeted at the new Omicron variants that are less um, virulent, less problematic than the 
um, initial very lethal early strains. And CDC Director Mandy Cohn welcomed this 13 to 1 vote by the CDC panel of advisors to green light the rollout of the booster. Now, this is, this position by the CDC is very problematic. Why? Because you hear so many, um, uh, government agencies, businesses, schools, what have you, echo the mantra, we follow CDC guidelines. You hear this all the time. Well, these CDC guidelines are absolutely um, dangerous and wrong. And what they've done just now could easily become another mandate for schools, businesses, government agencies. The um, One of the watchdogs of the vaccine uh, a regime is Alex Berenson, a vocal critic of the public health bureaucracy, who is quoted in this article. And he wrote that the CDC's own statistics show that the mRNA vaccine and boosters make no difference. They become ineffective against Omicron variants within months, possibly weeks, wrote Berenson. And updating them, that is changing the mRNA that they contain in an effort to keep current with current variants does not help. Why? Because the body imprints from the original shots and it makes our immune systems produced antibodies to fight the now extinct original corona variants no matter what specific mRNA is in the booster. So the science does not support any of the claims that are being made by our government agencies. And beside that, the potential side effects of the shots outweigh the risks of the virus, particularly to healthy young people. The risk of of dangerous um, side effects from the vaccine far outweighs the risk from contracting coronavirus, especially in children who are at minuscule risk of hospitalization or death from COVID. You have to give, I, I think that the, I, I don't have this here. Oh, yes, here it is. Um, one million boosters in adolescence would prevent at most, at most, one death from COVID. Let me say that again. One million booster shots will prevent at most one COVID death, probably zero. But um, 100,000 to 200,000 cases of severe short-term side effects would be expected from giving a million booster shots, and they will cause anywhere between 50 
and 300 cases of myocarditis severe enough to cause hospitalization. And that's why Japan, Germany, Britain, Australia, and other countries looked at this, took a, 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 a very calculated view of this, and they stopped recommending COVID boosters for children and teenagers. And the latter three countries no longer rec- recommend the shots for the vast majority of people under age 65. So the CDC is failing in its responsibility. It's failing as a watchdog for our health. Instead, it is promoting um, radical views and it is promoting treatments that are harmful to the majority of people who get them. Not helpful. The, the CDC and the FDA need to be defunded because they have now betrayed their basic mission, which is to protect the public and ensure safety. That's their main job, and they failed in that miserably. They are more interested in, in prompting or in, in propping up the businesses that create these vaccines and in controlling the people and telling them what they need to be doing. Let's go to a different story in, in healthcare news, which is entitled Biden plan to limit short term insurance draws opposition and support. So, if you, I've talked about this before on this show about the short-term uh, health insurance plans or SDLDIs, the short-term limited duration health insurance, and they're there to help people who are between insurance plans or who have no coverage at all to get basic coverage. Obama hated them and he limited them. When Trump became president, he reinstituted them. He let people have them for a year and let people renew them for up to three years. Well, this is antithetical to Obamacare because more people have more um, independence when they can rely on this. And so what has uh, been proposed by the Department of HHS, Labor and Treasury Scheduled to take effect on January 1st is a rule that would restrict the plans to just four months with no option to renew. And this will screw millions of Americans. The main beneficiaries of this new rule will be healthcare insurance companies that want to restrict alternative options. And they're forcing Americans to buy heavily government-subsidized products, Obamacare exchange products. And this will lead to higher premiums and higher subsidy costs than the alternative plans. And I'll talk about this in another story in just a minute. But when you can't renew and you can only sign up for the Obamacare plans for a specific period of time, there are going to be gaps in coverage for millions of Americans 
who will not be able to sign up for these expensive Obamacare plans when their short-term insurance plans expire. And um, and so Obamacare plans, which are being, again, resurrected by Biden, don't give a lick about, Biden doesn't give a lick about, about health care. He is all about controlling people and hurting them into a government plan, which is a Trojan horse for single payer health care system. The more people who are in, into the government subsidized plans, the less People will be in private insurance. Private insurance will have fewer people. It will become more expensive, and the companies will wind up going out of business like so many did initially in 2010 when Obamacare um, uh, was passed into law. Um, what's really shocking and and uh, disgusting and disturbing all at the same time is who is supporting getting rid of the short-term plans. The American Academy of Family Physicians, this is the group that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is in opposition to with regard to our direct primary care initiative, American Academy of Family Physicians, um, begrudgingly and reluctantly um, is accepting that, but they've put up barriers to try to um, fight this um, for a long time. Now they're embracing it because they see the handwriting on the wall, but they are a political uh, organization just like all the other um, organized medical um, uh, societies like the uh, American um, uh, Society of uh, Cardiology, the American Academy of Physicians, uh, they're all now left of the middle, very far left, some of them. And the Academy of Family Physicians, they they support getting rid of short-term insurance. They support allowing people to have no coverage. Also, the Planned Parenthood Foundation supports this. Why do these organizations support not allowing people to have this, it's because if they're in government plans, the government supports many of the initiatives, including the Planned Parenthood initiatives, that they rely on for their survival. So, of course, that's not covered in these short-term plans because people don't want a board of services. They they are... Um, they're people who want health care. Planned Parenthood wants to see abortive services, which are part of the menu for these um, uh, entire these these plans that are Cadillac plans that cost a fortune that have all benefits rolled into it, including abortive services. So, of course, they would support it. But let me just talk to you about about the um, about the short term plans and about uh, what what I've just talked about in a different article here in the paper, which is um, uh, sort of the uh, well. Let me 
I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to find my my place here. So let's let's. Oh, here it is. Um, it's um, our the the uh, title of this article is called "Are HSAs and Obamacare Plans Designed to Fail?" So Democrats say that health savings accounts or HSAs are tax havens for the rich, and they provide coverage that's unaffordable to the average American. Many Democrats specifically target HSA requirements that the health insurance companies that are tied to HSAs have a minimum deductible that currently is set at $1,500 in 2023. They say that's burdensome on the middle class and the poor, and they say that it's difficult, if not impossible, for low-income families to put away that much money to fund an HSA that would actually help them and pay for them. So what they are saying is that HSAs um, should uh, not really exist, that that uh, they only help the rich and the poor. And oh, I'm sorry, the rich and, um, and uh, people with insurance, they don't help people who are poor or in the middle class, who have very little in the way of savings. Now, um, the Democrats, the person who is leading this effort to um, to denigrate HSAs is Lloyd Doggett, a Democrat from Texas, the ranking member of the Health Subcommittee on the Way and Means Committee. And he has said that, quote, there's data showing that the majority of U.S. households have less than $3,000 in their checking and savings account, but the average deductible for an HSA is about $2,500. So having an account doesn't mean that you have that much, if any money in it, because again, he's saying that they don't have $2,500 to pay for the deductible. So what's his solution? Everyone should get on Obamacare and get rid of the HSAs. Or they should get on a new government plan and not have to rely on health savings accounts. There's just one problem, though. The average deductible on Obamacare exchanges are $2,000 more than the average typical plan that HSAs are currently tied to. Right now, if you have a health savings account, the average a deductible for your insurance company that that HSA is tied to is $2,500. But if you are on an Obamacare plan, the average deductible would is $4,700. So you're paying more out of pocket for those plans. And if you get rid of the HSAs, then you're paying $4,700. So the argument from the Democrats is, is completely specious. It's erroneous. They're, it's, it's, they're, it's a shell game that they're playing. So let's, here's the fact. HSAs have been a staple of the healthcare plan market for 20 years. About 35 million accounts cover 67 million people. And the average account holds $3,725. Now that's far from being a tax haven for wealthy people. But it's enough to pay for a typical plan's deductible. If the average in that plan is 3700 
and the average deductible is 2500 if you have a procedure that's not covered 100% and there's a $2,500 deductible, your HSA will cover it. If you were on an Obamacare plan, it wouldn't even touch it. And not to mention that you wouldn't have the HSA anymore because they want to get rid of them. So this is going to hurt the middle class, not help it. But their dogma, their only, their, their dog whistle is that this is hurting low income people we have to put people on Obamacare. They don't look at the cost of Obamacare. And it's interesting that 78% of people who have HSAs have household incomes of less than $100,000. Far, far from rich. In fact, when you're looking at Obamacare subsidies, they're looking at people who are four times the poverty level which means that that puts them at about 98,000. So we're talking about people who are, you know, average people working and not wealthy people. Um, we can modernize HSAs, this article goes on to say. We can improve it. We can fix it so that it's even better. We can um, have the health care plans that the HSAs are tied to um, provide zero dollar coverage, uh, meaning um, 100% coverage for preventative care, for insulin, for telemedicine, and so on. They could also expand the use of HSAs so that gig workers, people who are doing uh, work um, remotely or who are DoorDash or Walmart or Uber, they could um, take money and deposit them into an HSA um, that is independent and different from insurance to give them uh, coverage because they're ineligible for full-time employee benefits for the for the companies that they work for. And Congress could also provide HSA options for people who qualify for Medicaid or Indian Health Services or Veterans Affairs because they all have a small amount of deductibles, um, sometimes large deductibles, that they have to pay. And they can have a, pl- uh, a, a plan, an HSA plan, that will help them cover that, much like the Healthy Indiana plan for people who are on Indiana's Medicaid for making smart choices. They put money away in an account so that they can use it for um, legitimate health care reasons. So that's that's something that that uh, is still out there. And uh, on on uh, January 1st, this goes into effect. If you want to do something, folks, call your congressman and tell Congress to uh, put a stay on this executive order to uh, stop short-term health care plans from uh, being uh, thrown out by Biden. Um, so let's, let's move on to a couple of other interesting articles in, in this month's healthcare news. This article is entitled, California Does a U-Turn on Doctor Censorship. I, ho- I wonder if everybody remembers, um, about, um, a year ago, um, there was a bill that was passed in California that would criminalize doctors for spreading, quote, misinformation and disinformation, 
much like Dr. Scott and I have been accused of on this radio show for the past three years. Well, free speech and medical freedom advocates scored a win when California legislators quietly reversed this controversial law about censoring doctors who challenged official COVID-19 narratives. This was um, uh, AB uh, 2098 in California. It was repealed on September 30th by the California legislature and signed into law by, um, by Governor Newsom. Why? Why did they make a U-turn? Because they were embarrassed. Because they were wrong. And because they were, they passed a law that was unconstitutional. This law resulted in four lawsuits and opposition, not just from the right, but from the left, from the ACLU. And from independent presidential um, candidate Robert Kennedy Jr. They all criticized this law for its vague language and violation of people's rights. Um, rather than suffer humiliation in federal court, the California legislature saw the light and they repealed this law. Now, it doesn't mean that they've stopped censoring doctors, and it doesn't mean that they're not going to seek retribution against anyone who goes against the official orthodoxy of the state. There are other ways that they can do this. Um, There's still the Medical Board of California, which can um, punish doctors who they deem as being irresponsible, um, or for spreading false statements. They've done that already with doctors who claimed that masks don't do much of anything to spread, to stop the spread of COVID. But there are other ways that, that, uh, the California legislature and others can punish doctors. But the repeal of this law sends a very powerful message to other states that are thinking about stopping the free speech of doctors who have a responsibility to say what is right about healthcare issues and not be intimidated by the power of the state to try to suppress that and tell them that they have to stay quiet. Um Let's let's move on. There's so much to talk about in this. It's just unbelievable. These are the stories that you can read about on your own every month. And I'm going to be talking about this quarterly because I think it's really instructive for our audience to see the breadth of healthcare issues that are out there that nobody is talking about that you wouldn't ordinarily hear about unless I brought this to your attention or you were um in a position to access um, healthcare information that would otherwise be um, difficult to find. 
This article is entitled, Why Does the Census Bureau Need Children's Health Information? This is chilling. The U.S. Census Bureau is gathering information from select households to improve the health of children, quote, to quote, improve the health of children and families throughout the United States. What they are doing is they are sending a uh, survey along with a $5 bill to entice people to fill it out. And they are asking questions that include child and family characteristics, physical and mental health status, current conditions and functional difficulties, health insurance status, type, adequacy, access and use of health care services, medical, dental, and specialty care needed and received, family health and activities, the impact of children's health on the family, and neighborhood characteristics. The survey asks participants whether their child has ever quoted been treated or judged unfairly because of their sexual orientation or gender identity, end quote. The Kansas State Senator Beverly Gossage, who's the health insurance, who's a health insurance agent and received this survey, it raised a red flag to her. And she is very concerned that these questions are invasive and intrusive. The survey, she says, asks for names, sex, race, ages of the children and their health conditions and what medications they were taking. Why, she asks, does the government survey need to know private health care information? Well, one speculation is that the government could be probing to push more spending in the name of social determinations of health because there's a push to expand the use of Medicaid dollars to pay for non-health care services such as housing and food. And the collection of this data by the Census Bureau is often used to push policy agendas. Um, so the Census Bureau now has become a tool for government surveillance and not just to find out how many people are in a community so that they can apportion representation, but rather create policy based on characteristics that they are um, acquiring on the basis of these surveys. And so this is a Fourth Amendment violation, and it is something that people should be very wary of. If you get this questionnaire in the mail with a $5 bill, first of all, you're paying that that money, which is amounting to billions of dollars to acquire this information, your government, your tax dollars are responsible for the agenda of these people acquiring this information. So this is, this is something that you should be thinking about before you give them any information. You should not fill this out and uh, you should ask your 
representatives again if you're looking for a platform of a list of items to question your representatives about this would be one that you should add to that list let's move on we're running out of time and i have so many articles to talk about this is just this is um you know chock full of of information this is a great one so what what have i talked about on this show as much as anything that's single payer healthcare systems and the failure of them throughout the world and in the united states to enact them haven't we learned our lesson haven't we d- decided determined that it just doesn't work well here we go again we've seen this we've seen this uh movie before and it's playing out again the title of this article is Michigan Considers Single-Payer Healthcare System. The Michigan lawmakers are attempting to set up a single-payer healthcare system that would provide medical, dental, and mental health services without deductibles, without co-pays, or without premiums. And it promises to reimburse providers 25% more than the current Medicare rates. This is like, this is such a fantasy and so unrealistic that it's just too, too unimaginable to even comprehend. And why would they do this? Because for the first time in 40 years, Michigan Democrats have full control of both chambers of government and the governor's office. So this is the, the, the left utopian um, goal to to put these the, this into into play, and the the state representative who introduced this bill with twenty two co sponsors um, has been asked time and time again who will pay for it. Now the sponsors have envisioned that there would be a trust that would be set up that would be funded by federal funds and state bonds. But it also will come out of taxes. They failed to mention that, but it has to. Between 2010 and 2019, 66 single-payer bills were proposed by legislators in 21 states across the United States. Over the past two years, Washington and Oregon have passed a single-payer um, bill for health care. No surprise in those socialist Marxist states that, that now have, um, pretty much, you know, destroyed those, those beautiful states out west. But they haven't enacted them because they're still looking for ways to fund the implementation of these single payer systems. They're, they're flummoxed how to fund it. Vermont, tried to do this in 2014, but they pulled out because it would have required an 11.5% increase in payroll taxes and a 9% increase in state income tax to pay for it. In California, it seemed like they were going to do this, and then they quietly dropped it because they saw that this was going to require a 22% increase in taxes to pay for it. Colorado was going to do this, and then they voted it down 
because of the taxes that were going to be doubled to pay for it. Progressives are, have this, this wish, this wish, it's like a utopian wish that they can do better. They can do, they can do what nobody can do if only they had all the levers of power. Well, they've been shown that they can't do it. Um, they couldn't do it under Obamacare. So now the states think that they can do it better and they can't do it better without it costing more money than we have. So who do they blame? The insurance companies. You know, they don't understand that you don't get something for nothing. You got to pay for it. You got to pay the piper. Well, we are, we're seeing this play out again. Um, let me, I've got just a few minutes. I want, oh, this is a great story. I love this story. Here we go. The title is Dove Soap Celebrates Obesity. Okay. So Dove Soap, a brand of Unilever, um, is celebrating, quote, a real life version of beauty, end quote, launching a fat liberation campaign and teaming up with 22 year old, um, uh, Zaina Bryant, who is a Black Lives Matter activist, um, who is morbidly obese, um, and has an Instagram page, and they are teaming up with her to defend living in her, quote, fat body, end quote. All, uh, this is, this is just so problematic. All states and territories in the U.S. have an obesity problem. Um, the prevalence is higher than one in five adults. Black adults with BMIs over 35, and that's really, really high, were prevalent in 38 states, the highest number for any racial group. The Journal of the American Heart Association looked at 281,000 obesity-related cardiovascular deaths between 1999 and 2020 and found age-adjusted mortality rates increased by a factor of three in the group of black adults with the highest incidence of obesity during that period. The CDC says that people who are overweight or obese are at increased risk for all-cause morbidity. So this campaign by Dove Soap is neither compassionate nor kind. Um, they have teamed up with the Campaign for Size Freedom, and they've announced a partnership with the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance and Fat Legal Advocacy Rights and Education Project. They want to join making body size discrimination illegal in the United States. The uh, website offers no way, no information about combating obesity or excessive weight through diet and exercise. These people have way too much freaking time on their hands. This is this is not the hill to die on. They need to figure out how 
not to glamorize and celebrate morbid obesity. It's not kind and compassionate. They, especially when every night on TV we see commercials for Wagovi or the other um, drugs to try to combat f- obesity or the other programs um, to to uh, combat uh, weight loss. So. People have abandoned the role of personal responsibility for maintaining and addressing our health needs. And this obese population, they expect the vast majority of healthy people who choose to live healthy to pay for their poor choices in life. And so Dove is not unique in this. There are other uh, uh, companies that are featuring obese models in advertisements in recent years, and this is the wrong direction. The, we we need to take a healthier stand, not a unhealthier stand. And this is just another effort to take a group that feels victimized, that has way too much time on their hands, and stop propping them up, and let them let them have their issue but not get behind them this is what we do we get behind people who view themselves as the underdog and make everybody in this in in our country have to eat a you know what sandwich to be able to accept what they want and not just accept it but celebrate it endorse it do whatever well, I hope that we had some fun talking about healthcare issues today. There's a lot of other issues in here that I wanted to cover that are really good. Um, one, one, um, story, doctors are using people declared brain dead as lab rats. That would be something that you might find very interesting if you go to the uh, healthcare news on uh, Heartland Institute. So I think we are up uh, against uh, the end right now. We have one minute left. I want to just once again uh, ask people to go to the Docs for Patient Care website and uh, sign up for our upcoming uh, uh, Nuts and Bolts direct primary care meeting on March 14th to 16th. Um, you've missed out on the early bird sign-up special. Perhaps we uh, will uh, reinstitute it, but it's not looking that way because the demand for tickets has gone through the roof. So do not get aced out. Go to this today and sign up. Um, you won't be sorry, especially uh, listening to Dr. Marty McCary. So I'll be back with you in two weeks in the uh, doctor's lounge, and my co-host, Dr. Scott, will be here again uh, talking to you about the health care issues um, facing uh, all of us. Thanks for being with us today. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.